Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Can you keep it long but make it stylish? And he said, Josh, we can't make you stylish whatever we do, but we'll try yeah. and make your hair look all right. So that's, so I've got this sort of a little... So you've actually paid for that. Yeah, I have. Hello and welcome to the In For A Penny podcast. I'm Mark Schoffman, a freelance personal finance journalist, and I'm joined by my financial planner friend, Joshua Gersler, who runs an advisory business called The Orchard Practice. Hello. If you'd like to know a little bit more about us, you can check me out at www.cavendishcontent.com and Josh at www.topfs.co.uk. Each episode, we aim to give our perspective on the world of finance and money, and discuss some of the issues that crop up in business as well as everyday life. We hope that you'll learn something from our podcast as well as have some fun too. Hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, or whatever way Good you're day, sir. I good said day, good sir. day. <laughs> I wanted to start this episode, Joshua, by commenting on your hair. Okay. We're, actually, we're talking in a week that hairdressers have reopened and I've only spotted this. I spotted this as soon as you logged on and I thought I'd save it for the audio. You thought you embarrassed me on air. Go on then. What on earth is going on? You've got this sort of top knot, Gareth Bell-esque look. I do. I you are absolutely right. Uh, is, is that a, th- a chosen fashion style or is it you just run out of things to do with your hair? Apparently it's fashionable. So I hadn't had my hair cut for five months, like most of the population, and, yeah. it, and it grew. And I thought, you know what, I'm probably never going to grow my hair again. Yeah. So when I went to get it cut on Monday, I said to Ben, the fantastic uh, hairdresser, I said, Ben, can you make it, can you keep it long, but make it stylish? And he said, Josh, we can't make you stylish, whatever we do, but we'll try yeah. and make your hair look all right. So, that's, so I've got this sort of a little... So you've actually paid for that. Yeah, I have. Wow. And I was just sorry, I was you may have seen I was on my phone, not listeners couldn't see, but I was looking on my phone to see how old Gareth Bale is and he's thirty one. And there you go. Looks it's good right. to be in such esteemed looks, company. Well, how old are you? Thirty seven. I'm a, yeah. Thirty eight. Because I'm thirty seven no, no. and you're older than me. No, I'm the same, yeah. Are you? Anyway, yeah, so I'm you're more mature six, than you. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'm not one with the top knots. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, good luck. Um, what does your wife think of it? Yeah, she thinks it's all right. It's my mum that's got the problem with it. Yeah. She she saw a picture and she and uh, I was on the phone to her. Joshua, cut your hair. <laughs> I said, I said, mum, I'm almost 40 and you're telling yeah. me what to do with my hair. I think, you know, come on, let's let's move on a bit. Anyway, let's talk about you. What's that you've got oh, in thank your hair? You. It yeah, a lot like, of wax I don't know, you've, and gel. You've been frying eggs on it or something. Yeah, you're right. And I need to get it cut. And when it dries, it sort of goes into what Danielle, just, my wife, describes as a nutty professor look, which I kind of, in some ways, am embracing. And in other ways, I do think I should go to a hairdresser. But I don't, I don't see the point in just queuing with all these people. I'll just wait until it dies down. Did you go on Monday? Or you as could, soon as it, I did, but I, I booked it in advance. I don't do, I'm okay. not queuing. I'm do not queuing. Queue? Yeah. Huh. yeah. Oh, really? What else is news, Mark? Not a lot. That's that's the, the main things, really. Excited about pub gardens. Have you been to a pub garden yet? They, they've reopened now. I haven't been to one yet. No, have you? I'm no. waiting for you to ask me out. Do you want to go out? I'd love to. It's just tricky because there's not really... I don't know where there's any around here. Well, there are there are a few. 
near where we live. Yeah, I think. Just uh, yeah. you tell me where and when I and I'll need to be there. Okay, I'll let you know. Wear a hat. <laughs> <laughs> Wash your hair. Wash <laughs> For this episode, we well we discussed in advance we would talk about being self-employed. There's been a yeah. little bit of that in the news at the moment because obviously a lot of people have lost their jobs unfortunately during the pandemic, and there have been a few surveys and official bits of data that have suggested that many have turned to starting their own business. And there's, I think at the end of last year, there were, there was an increase in the number of companies registered at Companies House. And a lot of people have had to start out on their own because they've had no choice because they've lost, as we said, they've been made redundant or have had to boost their income. And being self-employed is something, well, in so many ways, both of us chose to do voluntarily Many years ago. Yeah. If I knew now, what, if I, if knew, I knew, now. knew then, what I knew now. Um, should, I don't know if it would be interesting to discuss that because a lot of people may be considering making the jump. Yeah. So, t- so tell me, Mark. Yeah. What? Why did you change from employed to self-employed? Because obviously this is a personal finance podcast, but some, yeah. sometimes you've got to strip back the finance and talk about the, the personal side You're of it. Right. So, so what made you go from employed to self-employed? Well, I used to work for a personal finance website called This Is Money on a regular full-time basis. And that is ba- they are based in Kensington. And that was a bit of a trek to get to every morning. And often trains were delayed and so it just got a bit stressful always being late and then we started having children and then you had to balance commuting with dropping off we started having children that makes it sound like it's a regular occurrence they were just appearing every day we had one child and then another okay over a two-year period three-year anyway so it made it gave me more flexibility so I could work from home and be my own boss and not worry about train timetables and a leaf on the line. Okay, so let's, let's just, let me pick that, pick that uh, not apart, because that sounds like uh, you have said something wrong. Let me just sort of probe a bit. So okay. the bit about the, the, the journeys and the train time. Yeah. So now working, having worked for yourself and at home the last couple of years. Five years now, actually. Five years, blimey. Do you think... Is that a positive for the journey side of it? I definitely think not having to commute has reduced a lot of the stresses involved with work. Like often you'd arrive at work huffing and puffing and just annoyed because you didn't get a seat or you've been standing for half an hour. It's cold and wet. Whereas as someone running my own enterprise, I can just get up and walk into my study. Obviously, not everyone has that benefit. Some people may still be self-employed and have to travel to places. But yeah, um, for me, it gives me more freedom to start work when I need to. Okay. Don't have to worry. And what about, about with the pandemic? So a lot of people will still be employed, but no longer have a commute. So do you yeah. think if you were now still working for like the, the this is money, you'd say mm. actually, well, I might as well still be self uh, be employed. I think that's an interesting point. Because yeah, a lot of my, yeah, thank you. A lot of my colleagues, ex-colleagues now are just working from home. But I think another benefit of being self-employed is you can, you're free to do a variety of things. So you're not just pigeonholed. You're not just stuck 
with one publication or one type of work so I can diversify, do different things. I can yeah. uh, don't have to feel so guilty if I need to stop working for a couple of hours to go to a sports day for my daughters or if I need to pick, if I need to look after them if they're ill. Tell us a bit about um, the, you said you can do what you, not pigeonhole and work on you want. So often, I mean, on this podcast, you don't often talk about your work. So what are the different areas that you, you work on? Well, um, I uh, class myself as a personal finance journalist. So I mainly write about... Very loosely, I assume, when you very, say that. Thank you. <laughs> I write regularly for The Sun, The Eye Paper, um, Interactive Investor. I'm just name dropping some names. Um, yeah, yeah, it's sort of mail in the Times to, to um, about things like mortgages, pensions, investments, insurance. Um, but beyond that, I also do corporate work, so um, investment platforms or property companies will call me up and say we need to write a report or we need some help with media strategy. Do you know anyone who knows about journalism? And I'll say, no, but I can help you. And um, so, <laughs> so that's sort of like a consultancy type type thing or communications content person. So what modern, modern uh, language, you hear a lot of, I'm a content writer. Yeah, I don't. Content creator, is that yeah. what you are? I don't like calling myself a content creator because it sounds a bit airy-fairy. Okay which I'm sure that's going to offend a lot of people. Um, You've got to move with the times. Yeah, but content is such a generic term. I like to think of myself as a specialist. So my specialism is finance. Although I have written about other bits. I've written about sport, Jewish stuff. I used to work for Jewish news. Yeah. Um, LGBT issues. Okay. So, uh, so um, the other thing yeah. you said was about the flexibility in your time. Mm. So you can go into a sports day or whatever it, it it may be. Yeah. Do you what what would you say? And we're not talking finances yet. We're still on the personal side of it. What, yeah. What would you say are the downsides of being self-employed? Well, you get a lot of benefits from a workplace like pensions. Yeah. You get a regular payday. Sorry, we've gone into the finances. No, it's okay. Um. So you yeah you've got to manage your money better. Well, not better, but more efficiently. So you know how much you're going to be paid and you probably spend a lot of time chasing payments to make sure you're paid on time, if at all. Yeah. Um, so your money's not always going to come in at the same time. You won't, there's no payday. So you've got a budget for that. Yeah, no pension, no other benefits. Like at some places may get free work drinks. So I've got to go and pay for my own drinks. Ridiculous. If, ridiculous. If I'm sick, I have to um, be sick. <laughs> If I'm sick, I don't get okay. sick pay. If you're sick, you have to be sick. I mean, the guy, this is our <laughs> content creator here. I do a lot better with written words. That's why this podcast <laughs> struggles. Um, and yeah, it's just essentially time is very much money. If you're not working, you're not earning. Whereas if you are in an employed role, you can have holiday, you can be paid to be off sick. And you can have an off day while you're at work. You can just sit in the office and... In some cases, you may just be able to coast along and do the minimum. Did you do that regularly? No. <laughs> no. That's very mean. No. That was three no's, so that's a yes. That <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there were days where you'd um, be have a big night out before and you'd come in hungover and you'd just spend a lot of the day 
joshing around. We should look into where the phrase joshing around comes from. Have I yeah, just made that up? It. Yeah. Um, another um, aspect of being self-employed is I think it can help you make more money if you work hard enough. Because one of the things with journalism is it's not the most well-paid sector. You've got to get up really high to, to get the big bucks. And obviously, there's only so many editor positions. Or you've got to go into other aspects of content or PR and marketing, which is where the big bucks are. So being self-employed means you can take on a variety of different projects and do several jobs at the same time, which is what I'm doing currently. And in some ways, it's good because I know I have a good chunk of cash coming over the next few months, but it also means I'm working night and day. So you've got to balance that as well. And then the tax as well. You can, If you structure yourselves in certain ways, you can end up paying less tax. A lot of people wouldn't know like what to do how how did you know how to go and find clients how, how to get started that's something that's often that i've wondered because i don't know if i know some people who started out they came out of university and then immediately became a freelance journalist and i think that's because they had the gift of a gab and they were good at networking and building contacts and just because a lot of what I do is you have to come up with an idea yourself and pitch a story and you can pitch it one week to an editor who'll say yes and the next week they may just have no interest at all. And you've got to be doing that with loads of publications at the same time to get a decent amount of income. So the main way I've managed to do that, I think, is because I'd built up a track record. So I'd worked in journalism for um, 10, 12 years before I went freelance and built up a uh, good book of contacts. A lot of my mates now who I trained with and worked up through the ranks with have now become editors themselves. So it's quite easy for me to, well, not easy, but it's I'm not as worried about just emailing them and saying, oh, will you take this commission? Are you interested in any pictures? Whereas when I first started, it was this big, scary world of a lot of editors who I'd never spoken to or met before. Yeah. And I had to approach them cold. But then I sort of generated some of those relationships. Okay. Got to, yeah. You've got to be confident and you've got to get yourself out of there. And what, so if we talk about the finances a bit, yeah. how, did it, how did it feel going from a secure salary, so you knew what was coming into your bank account every month, to yeah. uh, zero, I guess, when you first started? It's scary. And I th one of the best tips I've read somewhere, or maybe I've made it up, is don't make the jump until you can see that you've got the income coming in. And so what I was doing was while I was at This Is Money, I was already starting to do freelance stuff so that I knew I could generate the income. So I started doing a radio show with Share Radio and I did a couple of other projects for an accountancy. So I could see income was coming in and once it got to a point that I knew that was enough, I could make the jump and I lost the fear of potentially not being able to pay the mortgage. Yeah. And um, so, when started. you first started, was your yeah. uh, were your earnings comparable to your employed earnings, or did yes. you have to work your way up to get? They to were back? they were comparable initially. Yeah. Although after about six months or a year, one of those regular pro so when I started, I had about three regular projects, which 
or gigs which gave me enough income to match what I had as an employed person. And But then I lost one of those after about a year and there was a bit of a panic there because I thought, well, what am I going to do? I'm not going to have the amount of income I wanted. But I didn't give up and I was resilient and um, found other roles. So, and I, I think that helps motivate you, this fear of not being able to pay the mortgage and not being able to feed your children. It helps you. It helps you um, yeah, you can always come around for a yeah. meal if you need it. Well, the kids can, you can stay at home. One of the things that you need to think about when you are setting up on your own is you need to decide on the, I guess, the the legal form you're going to operate under. So you could be a sole trader, which basically just means you work for yourself. You could start a limited company. Well, those are probably the two main methods. So how did you decide what routes go down? So I went down a limited company route. So that means I'm responsible for preparing an annual accounts. Um, and then I have to pay corporation tax on my company's profits. And then also I can take a little bit of a salary that I pay income tax on. Uh, the benefits for me on that was, yeah, the way you can take income, it can work out more tax efficiently because if you you can pay yourself in dividends and there's a certain, you can get £2,000 of dividends tax-free. And then I've made my wife a shareholder and she can also use her £2,000 allowance. So that gives me £4,000 I can take before tax. And then you can use your personal tax allowances. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Yeah. So if, we, if, we, if we slow down a second there. So okay, every individual is allowed to take or to earn £2,000 worth of dividends yeah. before they have to start paying tax or they can have £2,000 tax-free for dividends. Yeah. And you can also earn £12,500 in your uh, income before you pay income tax. Yeah. So you've got 14500 there potentially, don't you, before you've got to start yeah. paying tax. And if you're sharing that, I know you, I know your wife has a, a, another job, but if you were sharing yeah. that with a spouse or a, a partner, that's sort of uh, 28000 29000 pounds that you could earn before you start paying any tax. I mean, we don't do it like that because she does have another job where that makes her a higher rate taxpayer. But we do we use her dividend allowance. And then I'm just careful about balancing how much money I take as salary. And you just have to think about at what point you're taking money and your accountant sort of helps with that. Because they'll say, oh, this is how much you've got left to take this year you can use your dividend allowance or if you take this much more, you're going to be charged this much income tax. Yeah, I guess with the salary, what what a lot of the accountants will focus on is the national insurance. Because if you keep your salary to, it's roughly about £9,000 a year, you don't have to pay any national insurance on it. Whereas if you go above it, you start paying the national insurance. So most accountants will say take a small salary and take the rest as dividends because also the dividends, there's lower level of income tax on them. Yeah. And there's also what you've got to remember, if you're a sole trader, you have to um, you have to notify HMRC basically when you come when you become self-employed, and you've got to do a, a tax return every year, which is a bit of a pain. So you can either do that yourself, or you can get an accountant to do that for you. Yeah, and I think you probably if you get an accountant to do it, a basic tax return, you probably pay about two or three hundred pounds. But you also then have to, when you've notified HMRC, you've got to start paying national insurance contributions for self-employed. So as a sole trader, 
you pay class two national insurance contributions on your income, which this tax year is three pounds and five pence a week. Uh, hmm. But if you earn below six and a half thousand, you, you don't pay any of it. Then there's also class four national insurance contributions, which My this favorite. tax year, so just in case you're not listening live because you can't because it's a podcast. So we're in the 2021, 2022 tax year. That's 9% of your profits between 9,000 and 50,000 and 2% mm. on your profits above that. You've also got to think about VAT, don't you? Well, once you earn above, is it 80,000 or something? Yeah, your if profits. you've got turnover above 85,000 pounds, then you've got to register for, for VAT. I would love turnover above 85,000 pounds away. Maybe I wouldn't if I don't want to pay VAT. Okay, well, there you go. So... It, but that is something you've got to think about because if you've, if you've worked out your fee structure with your clients, and let's just pick a, a round number. Let's say your fee is £1,000 for a piece of work. And then yeah. suddenly you get to £85,000 and you, your accountant says, right, now you've got to register for VAT. You're, mm. You've now got to charge £1,000 plus VAT. So the yeah. cost to your clients is now £1,200 rather than £1,000. So... It's something you need to consider at the outset, mm-hmm. um, even if you, it might be a while till you hit that £85,000. And obviously, it depends what you're doing. Some people are going to hit it straight away just for the nature of what they're doing. And, and some people will need to build up and get to that level. And then there's corporation tax. Yeah. So you've got to pay. So if you're a limited company, you've got mm-hmm. to pay currently 19% tax on your company profits. Yeah, And remember, those company profits are before you've taken dividends. So the dividends come out after tax. One of the other reasons I like or is beneficial for me, I think particularly as a journalist, but there's probably other professions, the benefit of being a limited company is it separates my personal and professional life. Because as a journalist, there's a risk of me doing legally risque things that could land me in trouble. I could get sued for libel or um well that's the main risk as a journalist and um if i were fined or something it's for company that's libel rather than my personal life so there's no risk to my mortgage or yeah my house can't be taken away whereas if i was a sole trader soul man that my home could be at risk if i'm in financial trouble through my business yeah. Um, yes, because the company is a separate legal entity. It company is a person, basically, is responsible. But you do need to make sure you have some sort of professional indemnity insurance so that if you are negligent, or I don't know what you would call it in your field, I guess in my field it would be negligent if you give bad advice. But you, So you need to make sure you've got insurance so that if you do have a big cock up, and thank God, We've never had that, but if you do, that you are covered for that. Uh, I'm assuming you've got something in place. Good. Um, what about we t- we spoke about um, the taxes? So I think s- some good advice for anyone who is starting out as self-employed is to remember you will get a tax bill at some point. Probably not for about until about eighteen months after you start. So what I what I recommend to most of my clients is when you get paid each month, take a percentage of that and put it aside in a 
savings account that you can't touch. That's your tax account. Yeah, I, this because I saw you tweeted something about this. There was a musician who complained that they had this big tax bill that they had to pay from a year before during the pandemic. Yeah. Whereas if they'd been saving, like you said, the amount that they'd earned, if they'd taken an income, portion of that as tax it wouldn't have been a problem because they would have had and yeah that's what i've done since the beginning you take your anyone would think you've got a good financial advisor well i think it was my accountant who told me to do that but (laughs) anyone would think you've got a good accountant yeah yeah so you what you've got to do is and you're right i I put uh, something about it on linkedin recently um yeah so if your corporation tax bill is going to be 19 percent, what i normally advise is each time you get some income put 19% 19% into your company savings account because that'll be more than you need. So if you're putting 90% of your turnover, you're going to end up with more than you need because remember, your tax is paid after expenses. So you're going to have your tax money there and a little bit of savings start building up as well. And also, same of your self-employed as a sole trader, if you're taking money out of your business, Depending on what level you are, you probably want to put 20, 30, 40, 50% of that in a separate account for your tax bill. That way you don't have to scrabble about to find it. You're not always chasing it, saying I've got to earn more next year to pay last year's tax bill. Yeah. Although saying that, I do, because I obviously have to have to self-assessment as well for the salary I take. Yeah. And I do still find myself scrambling around for that because it seems harder to work out your income. Sam says, great accountant, he hasn't sorted it out for you. Yeah. So what I would suggest you do, we probably had the conversation at some point, but if you are, if if one is a 40% taxpayer, let's say a high rate taxpayer, and you're not, and, and I say 40%, but if it's dividends, it's a bit lower. And if you're earning more, it's a bit higher. But each time you take money out of your business, put 40% of that into a savings account. So that is your personal tax account. So if you take out £1,000 a month, put 400 of that into a savings account. So at the end of the year, when you get your tax bill, you've got that covered. Plus, hopefully, again, a little bit more. Can we talk well. about you? I thought we were going to talk about both us and self-employment. Go on, talk about me. Because, well, I mean, we're, get, we've, we're getting towards half an hour, which is probably a good limit. But I thought we, it'd be interesting because you technically, well, are you self, do you count as self-employed? If you, you, well, you now run, you used to be, let's talk about, where, where are we going? <laughs> you used to run, you used to work for an accountancy and then stopped and start, then joined or started working for the orchard practice, which my understanding was it was your father-in-law's business. But now you seem very much in charge Large and in charge. So I, yes, yeah, so I left Deloitte. Yeah, a nice secure salary, a great company. Yeah. And I was manager, so that sort of middle, middle of the road. Um, to I left to be a completely self-employed as a sole trader. Yeah. So at that point, Malcolm, my father-in-law, he was also acting as a sole trader, um, working on his own. He said to me. I mean, I'll shorten the story, but we may be going into more detail another time. But he yeah. basically said, come and work here. I'm not going to pay you anything, though. <laughs> That's nice. nice. Yeah. I mean, after all I've done for you. Um, <laughs> so I was a sole trader as I started out. And as I started to grow and earn money, so it's very different for me because I my, mine was a career change. So I couldn't yeah. start doing freelance work or 
you know, things like you were doing. I, I had no experience. So I was a sole trader. And in my first year, I earned like half of what I was earning the previous year. I had to build myself back up again. So was that scary? Um, I wouldn't say it was scary. It was a big step and it was a big... I had to be confident in myself. I had to believe in myself, which I did. Uh, and I knew I was probably going to earn less. But when I did it, I decided that if I'm going to make this change, now was the time to do it. I didn't have kids at that point. Um, my mortgage was manageable. So we worked out that we'd still be able to pay it for a while if I had reduced earnings. We had some savings and, and Mrs. G was was earning. So I wouldn't say it was scary, but it was a lot of pressure to to work hard and and get to the level I want to be. And, that, and like you said, that's that's probably a lot of motivation. You know if you don't work hard, you're not going to you're not going to earn. And then after mm. I don't know if it was a year or two years, um became a limited company. And yeah, I am large and in charge as you say. And you have another interesting aspect because I mean, technically now you're running a family business. Yeah. Because you work with your father-in-law and your wife. Yeah, so we're actually um, finalists for Family Business of the Year Award. I've queued that up for you. Thank you. <laughs> so tell, how, how do you get to be a finalist for that, other than, other than running a family business? Yeah, you've got to tolerate your family. <laughs> it's the biggest change. Uh, I don't know how it came on our radar and we were told to, to enter and we did and now we are finalists and there's... Um, there's two categories. There's one that the judges decide on based on the analysis they do and the entries you fill in and, and everything. And there's also a People's Choice Award. Um, mm. So if anyone does want to vote for the Ultra Practice, you can just go on our Facebook, Twitter or LinkedIn and you'll see the, the link there. If you're listening to this after the um, decision has been announced, thank you for support. And I'm sorry we didn't win it this year. <laughs> I think in previous episode we've talked about the slow clap and the, what I have and I've lost awards. I remember that, yeah. Well, I'll teach you that. Um, what there must be challenges to running a family business because I have been working at home and my wife's been here and I find that challenging enough. But actually, and she doesn't work. We don't work together. But even just working in the same house has its challenges. How, there are how is a lot together? of challenges. Let's do a separate podcast on that because we could be here a while. There are a lot of challenges. Okay. I think yeah, it's a, good, it's a good topic to discuss at some point actually. All right. We don't want to. I, I, it's probably worth ending it there because of the, the the time. But I'm happy to talk about it. Maybe in another episode about my experiences of employed to self-employed and everything. If, if you'd like me to. Yeah, I think so. Well, it's good to Mark. I enjoyed hearing about that. It's nice of you to share your uh, experiences. I, I want to set us a challenge, Mark. If you're up for it. Okay. I hadn't told you about this before. But um, I'd like us to get some, some uh, our listeners to leave some reviews. And I'd like Fine. to challenge ourselves to try and get the number of reviews as the same as the number of episodes. So <laughs> is this episode 54? I think so. So we've got, we've got 28 reviews on there. And I think yeah. if anyone's listening, whether this is your first episode or your 54th episode, it'd be really great if you can leave a review, positive or negative, because uh, we want to know what you like, what you don't like, uh, and it makes our jobs more enjoyable to hit, to hear from you. Are you yeah. up for the challenge, Mark? Yeah. And if anyone who leaves a review, you can get a free photo of Josh <laughs> and his top notch. They won't leave it now. You've, you've, you've blown it. <laughs> Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon.
Please remember, anything discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice. But if you do need support, feel free to contact us on Twitter. You can reach me at Mark Schoffman and Josh at Josh Gersler. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Please leave us a review on your podcasting app that helps people find us and lets us know you're enjoying what you hear. So thank you for being in for a penny. Penny.